The heartbreak of psoriasis is not a joke. 20% of psoriatics, according to one study, have considered suicide at one time or another. You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Mark Lebwall, who is Chairman and Professor of Dermatology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York, and also the President of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me today. Mark, you have an interest in psoriasis. What makes this so interesting to you, this particular disease? Well, it's a condition where it's chronic. It has a devastating impact on patients' both physically and psychologically. It is a condition that we can treat. Um, If we try hard enough, we can clear the vast majority of psoriasis patients. 30 years ago, when I trained as a dermatology resident, all we knew was that in psoriasis, the skin grows faster. We have learned a whole lot more since then. Can you bring us up to date on what we know about it now? Uh, Yes, quite a lot. Clearly, it's a, a condition that is multifactorial, and um, what that means is there are probably a number of different genes that contribute to its development in combination with external factors, such as sunlight, for example. So absence of sunlight is one of the factors that leads to development of psoriasis. There are other triggers for getting psoriasis, like uh, strep infection. But it's multiple genes, and they clearly involve the immune system. And even though it is an epidermal disease, the keratinocytes, the cells of the epidermis multiply too quickly. It originates in the immune system so that um, activation of lymphocytes is required in order to get the release of cytokines that then triggers the uh, epidermal cells to proliferate. So we've really come a long way since just knowing that skin grows faster. I guess we don't know yet what in the skin triggers that immune response, correct? So there is not a single antigen that is implicated as the main cause of psoriasis. But again, as I said, it's well known that uh, individuals who will get a strep infection will have flares of their psoriasis, especially guttate psoriasis. That commercial years ago, that terrible commercial about the heartbreak of psoriasis, we joke a lot about it, but truthfully, a lot of patients have given up hope. Now, how should a generalist, a GP or an internist, approach patients these days with new information. We're going to talk about the new treatments in a second, but how should they approach a patient who's like hopeless? For starters, I will say that a real explanation of what's going on in psoriasis probably requires more time than the average physician has to give a patient. And for that reason, I would very strongly suggest that all patients be referred to the Psoriasis Foundation. It's very simple. It's psoriasis.org. And they have a wealth of information for patients that you simply can't go over in a Uh, even an hour-long appointment. So um, that would be the most important thing. And they do have an 800 number, 800-723-9166. Let's talk about them more for a second. That was one of my questions, which I had down the road. So let's talk about the Psoriasis Foundation. This is pretty valuable for patients. And what type of resources do they have for patients, not just written information? So there are groups around the country, and the Psoriasis Foundation is basically a a resource center for starting a group, for referring you to groups, and I would take advantage of that. For children, they have a pen pal program. They have a million educational materials that are extremely valuable. They have meetings of patients around the country on a periodic basis. They have a, a large national meeting that's actually coming up shortly, but every summer they hold a national meeting. This year it happens to be in Las Vegas. Uh, They tend to rotate it around the country. And it's an opportunity for people to meet others 
who have the disease, who have the same problems. There are workshops on individual areas of psoriasis. For example, if you have bad scalp psoriasis, there's usually a workshop on that. Sex and psoriasis. What if psoriasis involves your genital area? Well, there's a workshop on that. So there are a lot of opportunities for patients to hear a broad view of the disease, but then to hone in on their particular problems. Um, There are also educational materials that are superb. So there is a pamphlet specifically on scalp psoriasis. What if you have palm and sole psoriasis? Well, there's a pamphlet on psoriasis in unusual skin sites. What if you're thinking about questions like, does diet impact on my psoriasis? There's a pamphlet about diet and psoriasis. There's a lot of also information that is hard to come by unless you have a central resource like the Psoriasis Foundation. Uh, Just to give you an an example, if a patient is traveling to a part of the world where they have to take anti-malarials, anti-malarials are a common severe trigger for psoriasis. They can trigger awful forms of psoriasis called pustular psoriasis or erythrodermic psoriasis. And it turns out that there is an alternative anti-malarial that can be given that doesn't trigger that. Uh, doxycycline, uh, it happens to be. Many physicians don't even know that. But by having the Psoriasis Foundation as a resource, all that information eventually gets to the patient. They publish a bulletin on a a regular basis that goes to patients uh, and another one for physicians that has bits of information like that so that over the course of time, patients can really be not only educated but empowered to uh, know what steps they have to take to make themselves better. In case you just joined us, I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Mark Lebwall, who is professor and chairman of dermatology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York, and we're updating you on psoriasis and new treatments. Okay, you know, the Psoriasis Foundation, I think it's important to say when our patients these days go to the Internet and come into our offices with a lot of misinformation, this is a place for them to get real information. Absolutely, and the information from the foundations is reviewed by usually at least a couple of physicians on the medical board who are truly experts at the treatment of psoriasis. Well, that's superb, and I think that's a good first step. But the point I would like to say here is that when patients come in with psoriasis, it's okay for GPs and internists today to notice it and say, listen, there's some new stuff out there, which we're going to talk about in a second. Maybe you should see a dermatologist. Don't just bypass it. I agree entirely. All right, so let's talk about some of the new treatments. Let's start with some of the biologicals. Describe what they are and the different types and how they work and what we do with them. Yeah, so there are actually five currently approved drugs for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, uh, and eventually all of them will be approved for psoriasis. Two of them block T-cell activation. Those two drugs are called Amaviv and Raptiva. One of them, Amaviv, is given in the doctor's office weekly for 12 weeks, The other one is given by patients at home every week, self-administered injection, very easy to teach patients to do that, Uh, and they're fairly effective for psoriasis. There are three others, uh, Enbrel, Remicade, and Humira, that are approved for psoriatic arthritis, uh, and two of those are approved right now for psoriasis, but the third one, Humira, will probably be approved for psoriasis as well. They are very effective for both psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In fact, it's the first time that we can actually say that we have a treatment that prevents the progression of radiologic progression of joint damage in psoriatic arthritis. Uh, As far as psoriasis, they clear the majority of patients. Remicade, which is probably the most effective for psoriasis of the skin, clears close to 90% of patients. And when I say clear, that means patients have very little skin disease left. Not They may have a little patch here or there, but very little. 
Remicade is given intravenously in the doctor's office. The other two drugs are given by the patients to themselves at home, and they also clear a large majority of the patients who have psoriasis. There is yet a new class of drugs, which is called anti-IL-12, IL-23, not yet approved, but is extraordinarily effective for psoriasis. In fact, uh, it almost sounds too good to be true. You know, um, all of these drugs look like they have a great side effect profile when they first come out, and most of that has panned out. There has not been major organ damage from the biologic treatments thus far, but it is still early in their use for psoriasis, although we have a fair amount of experience with Remicade and Enbrel for rheumatoid arthritis going back many years at this point. So, you know, it looks like the side effects of these drugs is reasonably limited. Anti-IL-12, IL-23 in its phase two trials had no side effects that stood out, and literally a single injection achieved the score that we use as our endpoint is PASI 75, which means a 75% reduction in psoriasis severity scores. That is considered an excellent outcome. Patients have very little psoriasis left. A single injection of the low dose cleared more than 50% of patients using that endpoint. When they gave a double injection of it at one time, it cleared almost 60% of patients. When they gave four weekly double injections, over 80% of patients achieved that high endpoint of being almost completely clear. Uh, in fact, there were many patients who had absolutely no psoriasis whatsoever. The drug is currently in phase three trials. Uh, two companies are making this anti-IL-12, IL-23. One of them is Abbott. The other one is Senecor. The studies to date with both drugs showed to be very effective, and there has not been a single specific side effect pattern that has emerged. So it really looks promising. So we already have great drugs for psoriasis today that we didn't have even five years ago, and uh, even better drugs coming out on the horizon. When are these new ones coming out? I would anticipate by the state that they're in, they're completing their phase three trials. I would anticipate 2009. And are they going to cost as much as the ones we have now? So the main side effect of all of these drugs is poverty. They are all very expensive, and if you don't have appropriate insurance to get them, then they'll they'll be out of the reach of many people. Having said that, and I you know I really wish we could bring the cost of these down. The drugs probably wouldn't have been developed if there wasn't a, a huge amount of money to be made by the drug companies. So there's got to be a good balance where we put enough money into these to make it worthwhile of the drug companies to do the studies, but they also have to be financially affordable to patients. How do you choose which one to use of the new injectables that we have? It's interesting that very often the choice is dependent on the patient's insurance. Um, so if a patient's insurance will pay for one and not another, that's the one we'll choose. But having said that, a or Amaviv is given in the doctor's office. So a patient who won't or can't self-inject, that becomes a uh, likely drug. Same with Remicade, which is given intravenously by the doctor in the office. If a patient has psoriatic arthritis, I try very hard to give them one of the TNF blockers, which would be the Remicade, Umera, or Enbrel. If a patient is obese, I tend to give them one of the drugs that's given milligram per kilogram, like Raptiva or Remicade. There are different side effects and different profiles we look for for each set of patients. So if someone has a family history of multiple sclerosis, for example, TNF blockers have been known to exacerbate that or bring that out. So I wouldn't give those patients a TNF blocker. I'd give them probably uh, Amaviva or Raptiva. So, you know, uh, if a patient has a positive PPD, I'd probably, first of all, treat the PPD 
but uh, be cautious about which of the agents I give them if they can't be treated for the positive PPD. So again, different patients have different sets of presentations, and there isn't a one answer for every drug. Well, I think it's also a key point here. Just the things you brought out in your last comments are that when you refer somebody for psoriatic treatment with these medications, you really need to send them to a dermatologist who knows what they're doing with these medications because I'm out here, I'm a practicing dermatologist, Mark, and not all of us are as sophisticated or familiar with all of these side effects as you are. I think that we're entering an era where we have a lot of drugs to choose from, and there are different reasons to choose one over another. I want to thank Dr. Mark Lebwald, professor and chairman of dermatology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York and the chairman of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. The hosts, producers, and staff at ReachMDXM are here for you, the physicians who care for your patients. Tell us what you want and need. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we truly thank you for listening.